Before we get started, um, I just want to ask everyone who's listening, if you find the podcast or this episode helpful, please share, so like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you're listening. Uh, leave a review if you can. It really helps to get the podcast out to whoever it can help. And um, the easiest way for you guys to help me get more listeners is uh to share it with people that you think it'll help. So um, I really appreciate it. And um, on to the show. This is the Cherished You Podcast. I am your host, Rama. Welcome back, guys. So this is going to be part four, the last part of my um, my story of leaving, of being ra- born into and raised by a narcissistic parent, my mo- narcissistic mother, and then finally leaving the cult of my mother. Um, and this is that, um, this is the last part of where I... Um, of, of the experiences that I had before I left. So um, in the last episode, I, I ended uh, talking about going, um, being in, uh, going through college, going through med school, going to Chicago to finish up med school and, you know, breaking up with my first boyfriend and starting dating somebody new who I really wasn't serious about, but was a covert narcissist. Um, still is, as far as I know, he's still alive, but I have no idea. Um, he was also a drug addict and a cheater and a liar. Um, he had a child with another woman before he met me. So I'd met his kid. I'd met the the mother of his kid and, um, but he had his own real fucked up set of issues but we were living together and it's, and again, it's one of those relationships. It's a placeholder relation in, in, in the story of my life. That's a placeholder relationship. I honestly don't know why I was in it other than, um, maybe boredom and loneliness, but I really didn't have an issue being alone. Um, I enjoyed being alone actually. Um, I didn't like being with him. I didn't like, um, having to do stuff for him that wasn't reciprocated back. That was something I learned with him that, um, I really did not enjoy. I felt like I had to tone myself down severely while I was with him because he was, um, he really didn't talk a lot. Um, we didn't have anything in common. We weren't, um, you know, we didn't, you know, we weren't educated in the same way. We didn't live similar lives. There was really nothing that we had in common other than each other. And, um, I, that whole, again, in my mind, there was nothing serious about the relationship. I was never going to marry him. Uh, I don't really know that I was ever really in love with him, um, more than just a love that you kind of grow, that kind of grows for a person over time, just because you know them. It's kind of one of those things, but in hindsight, like 
he he did um damage me in different ways i feel like i went through some the, the covert narcissism where like he cheated on me and kept cheating on me and told me he wasn't cheating on me that hurt but really what hurt was that i didn't i wasn't financially in the in this in a place to be able to leave like i wasn't making enough at my job to be able to afford my own apartment and so um i thought he was paying rent when it turned out he wasn't either but um but for a while i thought that he was so i i didn't um i didn't feel like i could afford it but um toward our time uh, at one point um when he came out of rehab for from heroin um that i helped him through and everything he decided he wanted to move to colorado and I was like, okay, well, I guess we'll move to Colorado. I was kind of over Chicago anyway. I had graduated med school and I made a decision I wasn't going to go to residency. Um, it was too expensive and I, my heart wasn't in medicine anymore for me to go through all of that. And I was really, um, I, 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 was, I was in therapy on and off for a few years at that point. Um, and what I realized is that I really just needed to get stable enough financially to be able to leave my mother my the thing that was holding me back was that there were still payments left on my car even though my car had been repoed a couple of times in chicago um you know my mother would make the payment then i'd be able to get it back but then there would be repairs and stuff that i would have to pay for that she wouldn't pay for and then all this other jazz but anyway we get to a point and he comes out of rehab my boyfriend at the time and he wants to move to colorado i'm looking to get out of chicago I don't want my parents to know where I'm going. So I get up and I was like, okay, let's move to Chicago. I moved to Colorado, I don't care. And we moved to Southern Colorado. We didn't move to Denver. We moved to Southern Colorado near the New Mexico border. And he's, you know, he's, he gets here and he's back on meth. And the pot's legal here. So there's, you know, there's pot is everywhere and it's easy to get to. He starts working here. I start working here. And we're living in like um, Section 8 housing at the time because it was all we could afford. Um, he wanted to live in a camper and I was not gonna do that. That was not something that was in the cards for me. And so um, I like, that was like really one of the few times where I got really annoyed and I was like, I, I need to get out of this relationship. I need to have a place to stay. And even if I have to live with him right now, um, well, I need an apartment, I'm not staying in a camper. I was really adamant about that. And he starts cheating on me when he's here and um, he starts doing meth when he's here. I find out and I kick him out. And I was working two jobs at the time. But I could I kicked him out because I was able to afford the Section 8 housing. And I was finally in a place where I was like, you know what? I don't need to have this relationship dragging me down. I have things in my life that I want to accomplish that are, you know, that are for me. It's no longer about medicine. It's no longer about pleasing my mother. It's no longer about, um, you know, pleasing a man. I really have no desire to please or anything like that. Like I, I didn't need him in my life anymore. I, I, I think the reason I stayed outside of just money was that I needed to get to a new place. And I was in Colorado where I wanted to kind of move for a little while. I wanted to get out of the city. The city really, I was, it was too much, too much noise, too much going on just too much stimulation and I needed a place that was quieter so I was fine being out in the country it was it was nice being out in the mountains in Colorado it's gorgeous so when I find out that he's cheating on me and back on drugs I kick him out 
and I changed the locks on the place. And again, little glimmers of people who stood up for me when they didn't have to. The landlord of the building, um, he came in one time to try to get get into the house and uh, steal things because he had taken everything of his the night before. Um, And I had had a brand new computer at the time and I was really scared of him taking that. but he, uh, I had changed the locks and she backed me up and she was like, oh no, yeah, she's, um, it's her place now. It's not yours. Cause he had signed the lease originally, but then I had her change it right away after he, after I kicked him out and I was working two jobs. I had just gotten a new dog and my car had gotten repoed again in Colorado, but in order to get it back this time around, I had to pay off the entire car. So when my mother got me the money to pay off the car, it was now paid off and I was in a different state and she didn't know where uh, exactly where I was. So all of this is happening kind of all at once. I get out of this really long-term kind of burden of a relationship. Um, My car is paid off. I'm financially, I'm able to financially support myself for the first time in my life. And I'm doing well. And I had not talked to my mother up until the car was repoed. I had, which was a couple months before I kicked out, um, about a month before I kicked out my boy, my, my ex-boyfriend at that time. Um, I had not talked to my mother in almost um, eight months or so at that point. So she didn't know that I had moved until the car got repoed. And I finally feel like I'm on my own two feet and somewhat stable for the first time in my life. I'm taking care of myself, something I was told I would never be able to do without a man. That was part of the indoctrination in our, in my family. And now my mom is my best friend. She calls me and talks to me for three, four hours a day. I'm working two jobs. I'm trying to get my coaching business off the ground now. Like I had been trying to do this coaching business for years, but I hadn't been able to because of one thing or another. And now I finally feel like I have some bandwidth to be able to do that kind of work. And my mother's up my ass, up my ass for a year. This woman talks to me for three hours a day. She's telling me all the gossip on my sister and my brothers and this person and that person. And I have to listen to her talk for three hours a day. And she's calling me at work and she's calling me when I'm home and when I'm with my friend, I'm just like, what the hell is going on? And after a few months, she starts planting the idea that, you know, my dad's, my, my dad's been sick a few, you know, he's had a few heart attacks at this point, a couple of strokes and he's not doing well. And, um, you need to come back so you can take over the store and, you know, we're getting old and we just need to retire. We just want to go to Pakistan and retire and you can take over the store for a year. This woman does this to me and I don't want to go because for the first time in my life, I now no longer have a financial tie to her. The past few years, I kind of stuck around because she had promised to pay off the car and I didn't have the means to pay it off. But now that the car was paid off and it was mine and I had it registered in Colorado and I didn't need her in any way, um, I didn't want to go back into the fold. I didn't want to be stuck inside that house with her again, with her having um, having to listen to her tantrums and uh, her, her bullshit and all that jazz. I didn't want to go back there. And I didn't have to, but she's 
feeding me all this bullshit. And what she pretty much did was love bomb me. And she hoovered me for months. And a year later, thinking that I have some sort of clear agreement in place that will prevent her from reneging on me, I move back to New York. I give up my jobs here. Um, I keep the remote position, but I cut my salary because I won't be I won't be able to do a lot of the stuff that I'm able to do when I'm on site. I'm not going to be here to be able to do that, so I cut my salary on that one. So I have this very minuscule paycheck coming in, but I have some money coming in, and this is important because when I go back to New York, everything falls apart almost as soon as I get back. She doesn't want me to take over the store. Turns out she really just wanted to transfer everything into my name so that my dad's disability would come through. What happened was that they weren't able to get my dad's full disability if he had any income in his name. Because he's not able to work anymore and he had had all these health, health things happen to him back to back, he was qualified for dis disability as long as he had no reported income. But because he had the companies in his name for the stores, um, they wouldn't get, the government wouldn't give him his disability. The whole point of her doing all of this bullshit for a year of just being up my ass for, for me to come back to, to New York to take over, to quote unquote, take over the store was so that she could transfer the store. Why she wouldn't transfer it to my, uh, to my other siblings, I don't know. I, this was a control tactic of that, I'm absolutely sure. She could have done it. They wouldn't have said anything. They wouldn't have done anything. But she was like, oh, I don't trust them. But you trust me? No, you don't. I know she doesn't. But I think this was a, a way to try. She thought that if she could get me back in, that it would prevent me from ever leaving again. That I just needed to get back in one more time. And then she would be able to get her hooks in me and I wouldn't leave. Somehow, I feel like, I, I always feel like that was the case. I get to New York. I have a dog and a cat that I can't let out in the house because, you know, my, my, uh, we're not allowed to have dogs in the house. And my sister's scared of cats, even though she's married and not living in the house. I can't let the cat out. We're confined to this tiny little guest room with no air conditioning in the middle of summer. It is gross. It is humid. It's disgusting. And I am questioning all of my life choices at this point because it turns out the only reason she wanted me there was to sign off on the paperwork that would transfer the stores in name only to me so they would be off the books legally for my parents' names because my, they couldn't be in my mother's name either because she was his spouse. And so that they could get the disability and keep the stores. All this shit happens. I go through with all of it because I figured it out. It took me about a week after I got here when she wouldn't let me see the books at the store. She didn't want me coming to the store. She's you know, yelling and berating me at the store for, for just being there. And once everything, all the paperwork goes through, I stop going. They're still going every day. I'm not going because there's no reason for me to be there. And then one day she comes home early from work, loses her shit, and calls the cops on me for yelling at her. She calls in a domestic abuse call that I am yelling at her so the cops show up. And I knew that my I was done there. I just had to figure out a way to get out and I couldn't find an affordable place to live because it's New York and everything's stupid expensive. The cops are at the house 
And they look at me and they're listening to my mother go on and on about this other bullshit. Like I didn't clean the floors and that's why she had to call the cops on me. And it was so dumb. It was so dumb. The entire situation was just so dumb. And I remember the cops looked at me and this was like the third set of people who that week had turned to me and said, why are you in New York if you moved here from Colorado? And the cops looked at me and said the same exact thing. If it had been the first time I had heard it that week, I maybe would not have responded the way that I did. But it had been the third time that week from random, absolute strangers. And after all of this hoopla, the cops leave. There's nothing reported. There's nothing, there's no incident report, nothing like that because it was all bullshit. My mother goes to work. I call up my friend in Colorado and I'm like, I need to get out of here. Can I stay at your house until I figure out how, where to live in Colorado? She says, yes. I literally in two hours packed up everything I had because I had just moved there, right? I just, I just sold everything else I had, got rid of everything else I had in Colorado before I moved to New York. So everything will fit in my car. It's only, I've only been here, I've only been in New York for three months. So I didn't, I didn't accumulate anything new. Packed up my kids, my fur kids, my cat and my dog. I packed up my shit, packed up my car, and I left without telling anybody. There was nobody else home. My parents had gone to work. My, my siblings were at work. My sister was married. She didn't live there. And my brothers weren't there either. And this is, you know, this is after the whole cop situation where my brothers were there. They saw the whole thing and they're blaming me. They're like, why couldn't you just keep your mouth shut? Can you just stop? I got up, I packed my car and I drove. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't say anything to anybody. Later on that night I get, I tr my mother tries to call me. I don't answer her phone calls. My sister texts me on Facebook is like, where are you? Don't worry. I told her, don't worry about it. It's none of your business. Okay. I have not heard from her since that day. My brother, the older one was like, what are you doing? Are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. I'm okay. And then I spent three days driving cross country, staying in motels along the way. Um, until I get to Colorado on the way to Colorado, I get, um, my mother files a missing persons report on me. And I finally talked to those cops and I'm like, I'm a grown ass adult. I am 34 years old. I didn't take anything from her. I didn't take anything of hers. I'm allowed to come and go as I please. I'm not missing. I left. And I remember having this conversation with the, with the lady detective who I was talking to. I think she was a detective, but she was the one that they reported to. And she's like, yeah, are, she's like, you're okay. I'm like, I'm fine. I am not going to be living in a, in a household with her. I am free to go, come and go as I please. I'm a grown adult. I didn't take anything of hers. I didn't steal anything, nothing. She's like, yep, you're right. And that was the end of that. And I, I mentioned all that because as a narcissistic parent, especially when she's trying to get one who left back into the fold. She was trying to exert pressure and fear onto me from all these other authorities that she thought I would be scared of, which is the cops. And, you know, calling the original cops to her house for, cause I was abusing her, which was so rich. Like, it's just like the whole, the whole thing. And even though she's ranting and raving in front of the cops and she thinks I'm coming off as abusive. They're looking at me like, if you have, if you can go someplace else, you should go someplace else. 
calling another set of cops telling me I'm missing when I'm a 34-year-old grown-ass fucking woman. If I wanted to leave, I could leave. The car that I took was in my name. It was paid off. You don't know, you don't own it anymore. It's as much mine as it is yours and I'm allowed to take it because I brought it back. I'm, I, it's, it's my car. I took my kids. My pets weren't going to stay there. They weren't their pets. I didn't take anything of hers from her house. I only took my stuff. I have siblings who couldn't give two shits about me whether I stayed or go. And they, and they really only contacted me because my mother told them to. And that's proven by the fact that I haven't heard from my sister in over three years, in almost four years. I haven't heard from one of my, from my brothers in the same amount of time. And the only time I ever heard from my youngest brother was when he came to Colorado to get my signature to get money out of something else. And that also was because he was sent by my mother. Not because he actually wanted to check, it on, check up on me. It was not about that. It's never been about that. My well-being was never factored into anybody's decision-making process. And that's the part that honestly still hurts. Is after all of this time and after everything that I've had to do to pick myself back up is that in, in a moment like that where I actually do finally leave on my own terms by myself with no help from anyone, any of them is that at the end of it, there is still no, my, like, I do not factor into anyone's heart as to what's right. I, I'm not, I'm not a person who exists on her own, in her own, in her own way for her own self. I, my existence was completely in like only mattered to the extent of how I could serve them for their purposes, whatever that was. And this happened in um, August 2019. And I moved back to Colorado and I start putting my life together. You know, I found a place to live. Um, after staying at my friend's place for for a few months, um, I found a, I found a place to live. I found a job, and I've been on my own ever since. And the whole I've I mean this is you know 2019 the pandemic happened and that was a whole bunch of other shit. But this whole time, you know I've these past few years with me just kind of building my life up again this is this year in 2023 is really the first year where i can feel myself getting out of fight or flight mode like i can finally feel my nervous system relaxing a little bit after all of the work that i put in this is the first year where the most of the time i feel stable and secure I am very um, particular about the people that I open up to. Um, I have very high standards for myself and for other people. So I just, I really don't, I really don't connect with a lot of people. I just don't. Um, because there is a cer certain amount of um, trauma awareness that a person needs to have in order to be able to relate with me. Um, that's both a standard I hold and a standard I try to hit for myself. 
And you can't do that with everybody because not everyone is even aware of their own trauma. But all of this to say is that if you are the black sheep of your family and your narcissistic family, if you're the black sheep, if you're the scapegoat and you're still haven't, and you haven't been able to leave and that's something that you want to do, know that it doesn't happen overnight. It took me 34 years. It took me 34 years to leave. And even then there had to be certain conditions that had to be met. And most of it was financial. And this is really important to understand that, um, narcissistic people want the, the, the most important way they can exert their power and influence and control over you is through money. And being able to support yourself is the reason most people stay in abusive relationships. And we hear this all the time is that, you know, especially with women, women stay in abusive relationships because they cannot afford to leave. And never in my life have I been so grateful that I am not married, that I don't have kids than when it was when I left that day. Cause all I had were a couple pets and they, and they would be fine. All they needed was me and they would be fine. I am not worried about, uh, damaging another human. Um, I didn't have to worry about feeding another human. You know, that's also another really big thing. I can feed my, you know, my, my, my dog and my cat were, you know, I had their food, but I like, there was so much, like, I didn't have to worry about the, um, the emotional security of another child. Like I, I like, I, I don't know if I would have been able to do it had those, had my conditions been any different. So if you're stuck in an abusive relationship and you can't get out and money is the issue, it's, it's the issue on purpose. That's the, one of the biggest ways that a narcissistic person will try to, will use to maintain control over you. And I was only able to get out because I knew that A, I could go get a job in Colorado. B, I had, I had, a, I had a friend who was willing to take me in for a little while and, and had connections to be able to get me either a job or um, a place to live. And she helped me get the place to live. So it's, if you're stuck and you don't know what you need to do, like understand that money is a real, real, real thing that gets used and gets weaponized against you. And it's done like that on purpose. So if you're having a hard time leaving, it's justified because I, I wasn't able to until that financial piece was taken care of. And that was making sure my car was paid off. And like, that's a really important thing that I really want to get across is that money is a big thing that holds people back from taking a step like that. And it's absolutely fine if that's the case for you. So I know this was like a long winded set of episodes and I, and I hope that it helps whoever it's supposed to help. Um, it is, you know, it is my story and it's, you know, like I said, it's long winded. There's a lot of stuff I still cut out, um, even now because, um, I'm sure it'll come up in future episodes when I'm connecting stories to, other things, but I hope that it, it provides a touchstone for whoever needed it because I would have, I know that for me, if I had had access to someone who would have told me, Hey, this is, this is what it took for me to get out of that situation. That's kind of similar to yours. Um, I know it would have made me feel better. I wouldn't have felt so alone. I would have, I wouldn't have felt so despondent for as long as I did.
And so um, I'm going to leave that here. And next um, next week, um, I'm going to talk about more about the healing portion of what happens after you leave. And how do you get to a point where you're able to have healthy relationships again, what that actually kind of looks like in practice, because I think it looks a lot different than what people think. Um, but I really do appreciate it for everyone who listened because this was um, important for me to get out. And it's really the first time that I'm saying it so explicitly in this language, because I think it's really important, especially for South Asian kids, um, for South Asian daughters who are told to look the other way to not believe what they see and what they're experiencing and what they feel, um, to know that everything that you're experiencing is absolutely what you think it is. And here's the language for it. Here's what it is. It is a cult. It is a single family cult and the narcissistic parent is the head of it. And it is as bad as you think it is. And there is, there is life on the other side, I promise, but you have to, it's okay that if you're not at a place where you can leave yet, if that's, if you want to leave, but you can't yet, it's okay. But you will get there. I promise you, there will be a point when you will get there and you'll be able to leave. I promise. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate everyone who took the time and um, I will talk to you all next time. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Cherished You podcast. If you could please leave me a review, um, subscribe and share. It really helps get the podcast out to those who it will help the most.